Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible with you this morning, I would invite you to turn with me once again to 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16. As we get closer and closer to the end of this glorious epistle, uh, this morning we are going to be considering verses 5 through 12, 5 through 12 this morning. First Corinthians chapter 16, beginning in verse 5, here now the holy, the inspired, and the inerrant and infallible word of God written for you and for me today. Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. And it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. And if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear. For he does the work of the Lord, as I also do. Therefore, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren." Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Let's go before him once again, asking his blessing upon the preaching of it. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this, your word. We pray for your Spirit's work to open our minds, to open our hearts and our understanding, to see the truth that you have for us this very day, the truth that we need in our lives and in our hearts as we walk and seek to walk faithfully with you. O Lord, O Holy Spirit, illumine us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Well, congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the the presence and the outworking of love in a congregation should be evident in many contexts, from the worthy walking of believers and families in her pale to the many important aspects of the united body serving and fellowshipping and worshiping together. Some of those important aspects of worship that the Corinthians needed to be mindful of doing rightly and well regarded the proper partaking of the Lord's Supper, the proper way to worship God concerning spiritual gifts, and most recently, the proper way to take the collection for the saints. Some of the saints in Corinth, along with their other questions, had questions about the collection. The Apostle Paul was happy to help them and guided them in doing it well. 
Beloved, as, as giving to the Lord should be fueled by love and obedience, as it should be carried out with cheerfulness, love should also fuel our giving and aid to brothers and sisters in need. Paul informed the Corinthians that the saints in the church in Jerusalem were in poverty and had great need. And therefore, Paul exhorted the Corinthians to not let the churches in Galatia show them up in their generosity. The Corinthian congregation needed to be treasuring up funds in their giving that they would set aside to send as a gift to Jerusalem at the right time. And when would that right time be? Well, when Paul returned to Corinth, he said. When he returned, he would send a messenger or a courier of the saints uh, and of their choosing to deliver the collection to Jerusalem and to encourage the brothers and sisters there. And as we consider this, it's good and right to see pastors equipping others and encouraging them to rise up and to help in the work of ministry, even in delivering this gift and bringing comfort to others. This was an added way of showing compassion to them, even as a body. And so the Corinthian congregation knew Paul's desire to come back to them. He had said that when he returned and when he came, then they could deliver such a gift. They knew from that that he was coming, or desired to. His return wasn't just to take care of logistics, though but to continue in-person ministry among them. And so in our text, Paul shares the details of his and other ministers' plans for pastoral visitation. We find Paul's plans in verses 5 through 9. We see preparation for Timothy's visit and the need of it in verses 10 and 11, as well as Paul's uh, pointing to and discussing briefly Apollos, Apollos' uh, future visit in verse 12. But notice what he says at verse 5 as he now begins to talk about his plans. He says, Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. Remember, my friends, that Paul came after preaching in Athens and planted this congregation in Corinth in about 51 AD, during his second missionary journey. He ministered in their midst for about a year and a half before then going on to Ephesus. And it was while he was in Ephesus that he wrote this letter to them in about 54 to 55 AD, before the Feast of Pentecost. Now Ephesus in Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey, was about 450 miles from Corinth by land, as Corinth was in south-central Greece. And so see how Paul tells the saints that his plan to come to them as he made progress in his journey, which would take him north through Macedonia, where Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea are, and then he would come south into Greece and visit them. Now, some of you may wonder why Paul shared the details of his stops and his journey with the Corinthian saints. Why would he put this in a letter to them? What's so 
important for them to know among all of the rest of the weighty matters that he's discussed. What benefit does this portion of Paul's letter give us for that matter? Well, we need to remember that the content of our text today and the verses after it to the end are all just as much inspired Scripture as those that we've considered already. There is great and wonderful truth here and nuggets of gold to gather and to glean from within these verses. Just as the presence and outworking of love needs to be evident in congregations of the Lord Jesus Christ as we consider our interaction and our relationships with one another, we find love active in what Paul expresses here in verses 5 through 7. For we need to see in these verses that Paul's life was governed by two principles. Christian love, on the one hand, and the Lord's will, on the other. His life was governed by Christian love and the Lord's will. And really, these two principles should govern every believer, shouldn't they? What's true of a sincere Christian? Our lives should be governed by the love of Christ and the Lord's will for our lives. Paul's love for the Corinthian saints was sincere and true. We've seen that throughout. He's expressed it. He's also shared how he knew that they loved him in return in tangible ways. But he goes on to speak of this more in verse 6 as he says, And it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. My friends, how do these words show the love of Christ? See how Paul's love was expressed in his commitment to to make the 450-mile journey, to come see and to be with them again, even in the midst of all of the trouble that they had. Page after page, paragraph after paragraph, correction, some encouragement, but also rebuke. Encouragement and correction in walking in righteousness and leaving and departing what they were currently doing. That is what has filled much of this letter thus far. And yet Paul was committed. He desired to come and see them and to be with them. And even possibly to stay with them for a season. Also, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 15, he says this, And in this confidence I intended to come to you before, that you might have a second benefit. Beloved, what Paul had hoped for, or, and what had Paul hoped that he could do while he was there? Undoubtedly, He desired to minister to them again, to encourage them in their faith and walk. He desired to help them and to guide them in the ways of the Lord in the areas that he wrote about in the letter, among others. The first benefit that the Corinthian saints experienced was God using Paul as an instrument to bring the Corinthians to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And that was wonderful. That was marvelous. And here now he speaks of a second benefit that would be of how Paul could help them grow. Being more rooted and established and grounded in Christ and the Scriptures 
as a church in the faith. As Paul was governed by love for Jesus and love for his people, he was also governed by a clear understanding of the will and the providence of God. Look at verses 7 and 8. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. And so Paul would not see them on his journey to Macedonia. This may in part have been because he desired to be able to spend some time with them. And as he was going on a journey and into Macedonia, he knew that he wouldn't want to make a diverted trip there just for a short time. But he wanted to stay a prolonged time. But also... We see that he uh, knew that all of his plans, right? He could make all the plans that he wanted. He, He hoped to arrive and stay for a while, but it was only if the Lord permits. And that's an important phrase, if the Lord permits. You know, sometimes we talk, and and those of us who may be familiar with passages of Scripture that talk about the Lord's will and and the Lord's providence and all of these things we may even use in our conversations when we say, yes, we would love to do this and that, Lord willing. Right? Lord willing. And sometimes we may be used to saying those phrases, although sincerely meaning it as well, of course. But here our attention is drawn to it specifically. It was all, if the Lord permits. Paul knew that he could make all the plans that he wanted to, but not presumptuously. Not presumptuously, because he also knew that all comes to pass according to the will of God. All comes to pass according to the will of God. James teaches us this principle. In James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, I would encourage you to write this reference down, memorize it if you haven't already. He says in verse 13, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Beloved, when we consider the truth of verse 15 and what we ought to say, may that also strike us to the heart and be impressed upon us If the Lord's will, we shall live and do this or that. It is the Lord who causes us to take our next breath. It is the Lord who sustains us. It is the Lord who keeps every molecule connected together and keeps us from literally falling apart and going back into pieces in the dust. 
It is the Lord who gives us life and sustains us. And so all of our purposes and plans must be made with submission to divine providence. That's what Paul learned. That's what he knew. And that's what he's communicating here to Corinth. All of our purposes and plans must be made with submission to divine providence. We need to consistently pray that his will would be done and mean it. Not just say it, but mean it. And in that meaning it, what is also true is that we are at peace and our trust isn't broken. We continue to trust in the Lord the same before we prayed and even after we prayed, even when we see that his providence and his will was different than ours. A good question to ask yourself is, do you truly trust God? And that being seen in your being at peace with his providence. If we're honest, we may think that we are, and then have to admit that when things don't go the way that we plan, some of us may act a little childish and have a little temper tantrum. Kids, you may know that a little bit more frequently than some of our adults, right? Some of us adults, sadly, may join you in that within our own hearts. We get frustrated. We get angry or we get anxious about it. It's not going the way that we planned. What are other people going to think? Other people have made plans in line with my plans. We were supposed to meet up. We were supposed to do this. All of this was arranged. What's happening? Do you trust him? Do you trust him? And so to be at peace with the Lord and his good providence can be a challenge, but he also equips us to do it because he calls us to do it. And so Paul had practical experience being governed by the will of God when God's will wasn't his will. When his plans did not go the way that he thought that they would or that he desired. How do we know that that's true? Well, we see that Paul was hindered, for example, by the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 and 7. Acts chapter 16, verses 6 and 7, we read in verse 6, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. God's will be done. The Spirit guides, He directs, He also prohibits. He does not permit at some times when we would think or desire that He would. And yet His will is holy and perfect and right and just and true. Yet we also know from Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, that God permitted Paul to return to Greece, but likely not to Corinth, as Paul states in 2 Corinthians 1.15. In Acts chapter 20, we see that Demetrius, the silversmith, started a riot among the men that Paul was preaching to. 
Demetrius took the opportunity because Paul was preaching against their goddess Diana and therefore was interfering with their money-making business, which involved uh, giving and selling things to the people to worship her. We see there in verse 1, after the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So here in in 1 Corinthians 16, we see that Paul said that he would stay in Ephesus until the Feast of Pentecost. And he says in verse 9, For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. This is why he would tarry there, right? Though Paul told the saints that he was trying to come, They needed to know not to expect him right away. Again, God's providence had been made clear by an open door to preach the gospel. And yes, there was the presence of adversaries. Was Paul concerned about those adversaries and any delays that they would bring, any difficulties that they would cause? Possibly. But he also saw it as an open door to preach the gospel even to them, and especially to them. See how Paul wasn't a cowardly pastor, but he was a courageous pastor. It was clear his presence was needed and his preaching bold in order to stop their mouths by the grace and will of God. Paul didn't shy away from hard ministry. He knew that the adversaries were there, but he pressed forward in it. He said, I need to stay here a while longer. As much as the saints needed to know his plans to prepare for his visit, though, they also needed to prepare for the the arrival of other ministers, Paul said. Look at verse 10. If Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. Now, Paul's giving instruction here about Timothy's possible visit should connect in our minds with that in which he said in chapter 4 of this epistle, in verses 15 through 17. In in verse 15, he said, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Jesus Christ I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. And for this reason, Right, for this reason, all that Paul had taught them in his time and in his letter, before this reason, and even in imitation, he said, I'm sending Timothy to you. And who was Timothy to Paul? He was Paul's beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ, he said, as I teach everywhere in every church. So know that Timothy wasn't just some run-of-the-mill man. He wasn't a novice in the faith. No, he was a student of Paul. And further and importantly, 
Timothy was Paul's apostolic representative, which means that in places where Paul couldn't go himself, he, he would send Timothy to minister there in his place as a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. We find an account of this in Acts 19, verses 21 and 22, where we read, When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, and remember Achaia is where Corinth is, to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And note verse 22, so he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus. But he himself stayed in Asia for a time. So Timothy would possibly come to minister to the Corinthians, but how were the Corinthians to prepare for his arrival? How did they need to receive him? Right? In some regards, even today, we may say, hey, uh, Pastor Cassidy or Pastor Boothby or some other minister that we're familiar with, they're coming to minister to you. Reverend Page is coming to preach the word to you. Fantastic. Right? We'll be glad to see him. But no, how the people were to prepare for his coming. And in specific ways. It wasn't just that the announcement was made and they logged that in the back of their mind and that was it. No, Paul wanted them to be ready. They wanted him to, them to be ready for him to come and to receive him well. If you recall, the Corinthians knew Timothy. He wasn't a stranger to them. They knew Timothy as he was with Paul at Corinth when the congregation was planted. And so they needed to treat him with respect as a fellow minister of the gospel with Paul, sent by Paul in his place. And beloved, since proud spirits don't easily bear being reproved, and this was one of the reasons why Paul was sending Timothy in his place, was so that he could minister to them. As proud spirits don't easily desire or take reproving well, the saints needed to be intentional with their love and their care for him. He was coming to them to correct the abuses that had crept in amongst them. And this work wasn't an easy commission. And yet Timothy was coming to carry out the work of the Lord in their midst. He was the Lord's minister. He was the Lord's minister to them to bring the salve of the gospel, to bring the truth of the word, the very things, the encouragements, the admonishments, the corrections that Paul had given, to put meat to those bones and to help them to make steps in bringing these changes to be active in their lives. Here was Timothy coming to do such things. And further, he would remind them of Paul's ways in Christ. In verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 16, Paul told the saints in Corinth, Therefore, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. If you remember, no one was to despise Timothy for his youth. Paul told Timothy this directly in 1 Timothy 4.12. But... Now he tells the saints, 
right? He told Timothy, Timothy, don't, you're a young minister, but you are a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ, called and, and lawfully ordained to ministry to serve him to the people. Don't let anyone despise you for your youth. But now he comes to the congregation and he says, no one should despise Timothy. This is part of your preparation for his coming. Don't despise him. Remember that as many of the Corinthians struggled with being critical of one another for various reasons, they needed to remember again this undergirding and driving principle of the fuel of love in that, like he said in chapter 13, love is kind. The Corinthians, therefore, needed to not reject Timothy's ministry to them, but rather show the love of Christ to Timothy in that way. And then when his ministry was finished, they needed to send him off on his return to Paul and the brethren. And see there that, that faithful ministers aren't only to be well-received by the, the people that they minister to, but they're also to be sent away with due respect when their ministry in their midst is finished, at least for that time. But Timothy wasn't the only one who may visit in Paul's absence. Paul also spoke of Apollos in verse 12. Look there. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. Remember here too that Paul and Apollos, and even Apollos here specifically, he was well familiar to the Corinthians. He was a skillful minister who was very helpful to them. In Acts chapter 18, we see in verses 24 through 28, now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, what happened? He greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So again, like Timothy, Apollos had already been in very fruitful ministry in their midst. And they knew this, even from the early years. And yes, different things had happened, corruptions had set in, there were issues that they needed to deal with, but again, out of love, Paul would come. Out of love, Timothy would come. Out of love, when Apollos was able to come, he would. We are also mindful that in their divisive spirit, Apollos was one of the ministers that the Corinthians sinfully put on a pedestal. We see that in chapter 1, verse 12. Apollos was also the minister to succeed Paul in ministry in Corinth as the one who watered after Paul planted and built up the congregation, 
chapter 3, verse 6. And so it appears that the saints asked Paul to send Apollos to them. Paul himself wanted to go to Corinth, and yet Paul's words regarding Apollos' unwillingness to come teaches us that even healthy boundaries are necessary and good in ministry when he was involved in something that would take his time at the moment. It wasn't that Apollos didn't love or care for the people. There were good reasons that kept him from coming in God's God's providence. But see how Paul protects Apollos' reputation in his making it clear that Apollos wasn't able to come right away at that moment, but he would when he was able. And so, beloved, as we consider these things, these, these plans for pastoral visitation, I want you to take this home with you. Like Paul was, May your heart and life be governed by the principles of Christian love and the Lord's will. Know and grow in your knowledge of the many facets of love that all true ministers of the Lord Jesus Christ must have for his sheep. Know the love that that your pastor, that that I have for you and your family afresh today. for, For like Paul, I desire to be with you in visitation, in fellowship, in prayer, in counsel. I desire to be with you to minister to your needs as an instrument of Christ's grace, to to challenge and to correct any sin that may be within, to, to heal your wounds by God's grace with the Word, and to lead you in becoming more and more established in the truth individually and as a body. And also see and take heart the mutual and reciprocal love and care that a congregation must have towards her pastor. As the pastor loves and tends to the body, the body also loves, cares for, respects, and tends to their pastor. But when you take it down to the brass tacks, when you set aside any masks or public appearances that you show others. How is your willingness to submit to divine providence today? Is your heart's desire that God's will be done, whatever that may be? Or is it a desire that God gets in line with yours? Much humility, trust, and love is needed here, beloved. I encourage you to examine your heart and your mind and to ask God to remove any presumptuousness that may exist in your planning, that that he would deal with anything that is in the way of you being at peace and saying wholeheartedly, if the Lord permits. Your will be done in my life, Lord, and that of my family. Guide me and use me as you will, O Lord my God. I fully submit myself and my family to you. Christian love and the Lord's will, beloved. May these govern you even practically day by day to the glory of God. Amen. Praise God for his word. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, you are to be praised. 
May your will be done. Help us, Lord, in all ways to submit to these things, to submit to your will, whatever it may be, knowing that it is good and right and perfect for us. O Lord, may our love be deep and prevail for you. May we ever trust you. May we love you. May we also love the brethren. O Lord, we pray that these things would come to pass by the work of your Spirit. In Christ's name we pray.